Our scripture lesson this morning comes from the good news, the gospel according to John chapter 12. Let's share in this together. I do not judge anyone who hears my words and does not keep them, for I came not to judge the world, but to save the world. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. Who needs God? We are concluding our series of this name, Who Needs God, today uh, by asking ourselves, one another, uh, to be honest. We've talked about lots of reasons why people have um, really deconverted from the faith. Um, all of us, it's, you know, it's not a straight line. There are days where we feel closer to God. There are days that we do not feel close to God. Pain and hurt and frustration and loss are real, and sometimes that pulls us towards God, and sometimes it pushes us away from God. And we just need to be honest about that. Not, not every day of our life do we feel like gathering and singing praises when we're hurting, when we're frustrated, when we're in need. And sometimes we don't feel like we get what we need from God. And we can take a step away. And take a step away. And sometimes those folks leave the church. And sometimes the folks stay in the church. We just pretend that we still follow God. But we don't. We don't intend to. We don't mean to. But we're here anyway. Because that's just what we've always done. We're not sure what we would do otherwise. But many, many people these days are finding out. Hanging out at Walmart this morning. On aisle four. Doing their shopping. If you don't believe me. After service go to Walmart. It'll be packed out. You can see it. I've been thinking about having services in the parking lot there. It'd be perhaps more effective to see more people, right? And it can be very, very difficult. So I invite you to take your sermon notes out. I'm, I'm just very, very briefly, I want to take you through where we've been over the last three weeks. And if you are somebody who listens to podcasts, you can sign up for our podcast or go to our website and, and be caught up. Andy preaches these sermons on Friday nights uh, at one church, and then I'm preaching them on Sunday mornings at 915 and 1045. Uh, if you're following along in sermon notes, people sometimes step away from faith because they receive childhood faith to their adult questions. Uh, the answers that they were really seeking as adults, what they learned in third grade Sunday school, no longer sufficed. And as a pastor, uh, let me just say this really deep theological thing. Duh. I mean, really, duh. Does, I mean, is there any other part of your life in your business life? Um, where you try to go back to your third grade teaching and say, well, you know, in my business life, we're going we're gonna to do it like this now, like I did in third grade. Well, of course not. It's ridiculous. So don't, we can't expect our adult questions 
to suffice with third grade, second grade, first grade answers. Now, that's not that you're throwing it out, not at all. I'm inviting you to build on it, right? We have to build on it. We are called to mature in our faith in Christ. We're no longer um, to have a, a, a little child Sunday school faith, but to grow up and wrestle with the real questions, not pretend questions, but the real questions that we have. And so sometimes people step away because they think, well, well, that doesn't sound right. And that's because it was appropriate at the time. But it may no longer work for you. And that's okay. There's, you're a, among friends here where we're going to ask questions together. We're going to wrestle together. We're going to pray together. We're going to move forward in Christ's kingdom together. Other times, it's something in the Bible or injustice in the world. Uh, I submitted to you a couple of weeks ago that if you don't believe in a worldwide flood... 8,000 years ago that covered all of the North Pole or all of Antarctica, I would submit to you that doesn't mean that you can't follow Jesus, right? If you were to go to St. Peter or or St. Paul and say, hey, I've got these questions about dinosaurs and the Big Bang Theory, they're they're like, what are you talking about? We, We don't, that doesn't make any difference. The question is, do you follow Jesus? Do you know him? Do you know the Messiah, the Son of God who's come to earth in Jesus? And are you willing to give your life to him? They were not caught up in some scientific argument about what may or may not have happened eight or 10,000 years ago. Does it make sense? Amen? So, so when you're on the internet and somebody is absolutely saying that Christianity is false because of, of what we may or may not believe about dinosaurs, move on. You don't have to enter into every argument you get invited to. Just keep moving. Because the Christian faith is about following Christ, Jesus, the Savior of the world. And sometimes we look at the injustice in the world and we say things like, how can a good and loving God allow this to happen? And those are good questions, but friends, those questions were around long before Jesus. And they're not tied to Jesus, they're tied to the way the world is, the realities of the world, things called theodicy, the problem of evil in the world. How can a good and loving God allow evil in the world? And it is something that theologians and Christians and Jews and Muslims and atheists have wrestled with for thousands of years. It's not unique to us, friends. And so we begin to misunderstand who Jesus is. We think that God is like we are. And Jesus says, no, God is spirit. God is spirit, unbodily, powerful presence, real presence. God is daddy, dad, Abba, father, close relationship, not male, father, relationship. And God is love itself, Jesus says. And he says, if you want to know what God is like, look at me. He says, the father and I are what? One. If you've seen me, you've seen the father. That's what he said to Philip. He says, how can you say, show me the father? I'm right here all along. And so our challenge today, as we wrap this up, and we, you know, we land the plane, so to speak, is this. Why do we assume, if there is a God, that God must be good and just? Where did that thought come from? Anybody know? Well, we'll get there in just a second. Let's go back a little bit. Let's talk about the ancient gods. The ancient gods that, that God told the Jews they were not to be like required child sacrifice. No kidding. If you looked at the Canaanite gods, if you looked at the the gods of the northern kingdoms above Judah and and Israel, around Syria and Iraq and Iran and those areas, uh, back in the days of Abraham, they required um, normally animal sacrifice, blood for some sort of guilt. But if it was really bad, it it took one of your children. 
oftentimes your oldest child. And that was normative in the culture. That's what you did. There was an altar at the temple. You took your child up there and you slayed them. That's, that's, this is terrible to say, but that's, I mean, that's why we have an altar. Because this is where the sacrifices are made. And we thank God that Jesus ended it. One sacrifice for all people for all time. But before Jesus, it was a sacrifice of something that was important to you every time. If you were going to get back in the good graces of some vengeful, angry um, gods. You look at the pantheon of the Roman and Greek gods. They were not good. They were not just. When a hurricane would come through and wipe out people, you know who they blamed? You know whose fault that was? Neptune's. Neptune was angry. And he wipes out Puerto Rico. That's Neptune's fault. That's how they understood evil in the world, was they blamed a God. When a different country would come in and war on them and and kill their children and their wives and their slaves, you know who they blamed? Mars or Jupiter. Those were the war gods. That's what they thought. There was no good and just God. If you couldn't get pregnant, that was Aphrodite's fault. She was mad at you. Or Minerva. I mean, these gods were terrible. Any of you, you remember junior high mythology? Right? I mean, we're not thinking, oh, yay, let's go back to that. Right? No. No, these gods were not good. They were not just. This whole idea of the justice and dignity for all version of God was introduced by Jesus. The world did not know any kind of concept like that before Jesus. Andy Stanley uh, has a six-part sermon series by this name that he rolled out at North Point Community. And if you'd like to know even more, you can go online uh, and see those there. But this whole idea of a just God, a good God, that comes from our Savior, Jesus. And now we have a real problem. Because if the God that we serve and the God that we love and the God that we worship is a God of justice and of good, then what? And the problem is that what's our other, what are our other alternatives? You see, when the justice of Jesus leaves, if we're going to reject Jesus because we don't like the way he's running things, right? if we step out of that, then we're left with my justice versus your justice. Right? I mean, somebody's got to choose what is just, what is right, what is good. And if it's not Jesus, then who, are you, who gets to choose? Well, in a lot of parts of the world, it's whoever's the most powerful whoever has the most money and then it's still that way in a lot of places right so so you got to ask yourself if we're not going with jesus as good and just who are we going with and we're simply left with you against me you're left with these sorts of things that we're really struggling with it's your justice or my justice or nazi justice or isis justice or in our country a lot of times majority justice that's what justice looks like or clan justice or nature's justice have you ever watched the nature channel I mean, I'm telling you, I don't want to go up against a cheetah, right? I mean, nature is not just. It's survival of the fittest, isn't it? You can't say, oh, we'll just look at nature. Isn't it beautiful? No, they eat each other, right? Circle life is crazy, scary. Street justice, rich justice, power justice. Isn't that true? If you're not going with Jesus, you got to pick one. And people are all too happy to do it. And we fight, we strife. And then we come to something that's even more uncomfortable because there is no justice without judgment. Isn't that true? I mean, you want a just and loving world, but you never want to go before the judge. Well, well what do you do if you get arrested? Well, if, if, it, if you're falsely accused, you really want to go before the judge, don't you? You're hoping for justice. 
Now, again, this is why, particularly in the West and first world countries, we struggle with this because we're the powerful. We're the powerful. And I know we don't like to think of ourselves as the powerful, but we are. We are the powerful. Friends, Jesus tells this parable in Luke 18 about the unjust judge and a widow. And, 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 he, and this, this widow would come to the judge over and over and over again. And she would say, give me justice, give me justice, give me justice. And in that culture, at that time, everybody knew there was no justice. Because what would happen, they, they're like, oh yeah, I know that judge. Like they would know that judge. And the only way you could get a hearing before the judge is if you bribed him, if you'd pay him. That's the way it was under the Roman Empire. Everybody was on the take. And so they knew, this woman said, look, I'm poor, I don't have anything, and I don't have enough money to bribe the judge to even get a hearing. And Jesus says, you all know what this is like, right? It's an unjust judge. Didn't fear God, didn't care about people. That's what Jesus said in this story. And people are like, yeah, we know a judge like that. And she says, no, no, no. And so um, I love the way Andy Stanley put this. He says, you know, in the parking lot, she'd be there. When he came out of his house, she'd be there. I mean, everywhere this judge would go, this woman would say, like, give me justice, give me justice, give me justice. And you know what he did? He did. He said, this lady's wearing me slick. I don't know if she is or isn't, but right or wrong, but I mean, I'm going to hear her case because she is just wearing me out. And then Jesus said this. If you who are unjust and don't fear God and don't even care for each other, if you'll even do that just to get somebody off your back, how much more your Father in heaven, who loves you perfectly, will hear your case? Right? And if you have been a person who's had violence done to your child, you know you need justice. It's not just a theory anymore. It's something you desperately need in your life and in your heart. If you have been wronged, if your company has been ruined because of false accusations, if you've had people lie against you and, and absolutely ruin your reputation, you are begging for justice that somehow the truth will come out. Isn't that true? If you're on that end of it, and you're hoping and begging for the day when truth will come out and you know that the whole world will be like, wow, we really thought he was a terrible person or she was just terrible. And, and the reality is, they're a great person. And Jesus says to us, friends, there will be a day. You don't have to wait forever. That day will come. But here's the problem. I want justice for you, but I want mercy for me. Isn't that true? Somebody hurts you, takes your property, uh, messes you over. You want them accountable. If you accidentally do five miles over on the Broadway extension, you want mercy from the police officer, don't you? Understand, I'm a busy person. I'm in a hurry. I'm going on a hospital call. I got a ticket going on a hospital call to a dying man. Broke the law, got the ticket how it works i wanted mercy but i want justice for the guy that flies by me on the way to vacation don't you just the way we're wired i want justice for you i want mercy for me and what did jesus say about this what did jesus say now this if you haven't i don't know how we miss this but i mean this this is shocking because this is not how we think of god but this is who jesus says god is i have come as light into the world jesus says so that who Everyone who believes in me should not remain in the darkness. I, say it with me, I do not judge anyone who hears my words and does not keep them. Did you know that's in the Bible? I mean, this does not sound right. 
This is not just. I mean, seriously, I do not judge anyone who hears my words and does not keep them. That does not sound right. But it's in there. You can fact check it. For I came, what? Not to judge the world, but to save the world. Right? So in case you missed it, Jesus is the Savior of the world. He says, I came not to judge, but to save. This is who God is. And Jesus. It's really important that we get this right. And we say, well, what about judgment? There is judgment. Yeah, there is. It's like penicillin. Penicillin can save your life if you receive it into your body. You realize that penicillin in our lifetimes has saved millions and millions of people. Rheumatic fever, pneumonia, all kinds of terrible STDs. Penicillin, new life. Without it, you're dead. With it, you live. Does it make sense? Penicillin can save your life if you have certain bacterial infections that are about to kill you. The question is, do you want it? And if you don't, that's not penicillin's fault. Is it? Are you cussing penicillin these days because of the evil injustice of the disease in the world? No. But if you sit it on the shelf, how much good is it going to do you? Uh, this is not a trick question. None. Absolutely not. Yet, people all the time yell and rail at Jesus because they have set him aside and said, you're not doing your job. Without any intention of following him or receiving him or, or putting up with the gastrointestinal issues that you get when you take penicillin. Right? We don't want that in our life. It's uncomfortable. It's painful. It messes with our, the things we like to eat, the things we like to do. But friends, penicillin is not bad. It might save your life if you have a certain kind of disease. Now, hopefully you can see the metaphor that I'm setting up for you. Right? Jesus can save your life in this life and the next. But you don't get to take half the dose. Any of y'all ever taken an antibiotic and stopped when you felt a little better? What do you get to do? Get to take it again. Go through the whole mess again. But we are the lowest common denominator people, aren't we? I took two of them. I should be fine. And then you're sick again. This is how it is with Jesus, friends. You don't get to follow him halfway. Not an expect to live. Not live well, this life, the next. There's a great correlation here, friends. And so Jesus says this. In the future, there will be justice for who? Oh, for everyone. For everyone. And this is supposed to be good news, friends. But Frederick Buechner says this. The gospel of Jesus is bad news before it's good news. It is. Bad news before it's good news. It's good news. Make no mistake about it. But it's bad news first. Because there's some uncomfortable stuff you got to get through to get to the good news. Which is, I'm not the boss. There is a boss. It's not me. I was, I was, hold on, I was, I can't get it out. I was what? What's the word? Oh, you can say it. I was wrong. Sometimes we just have to say, I was flat wrong. I thought it was this way and it was that way. I was wrong. I was wrong. So Jesus says this, the one who rejects me and does not receive my word has a judge. On the last day, the word that I've spoken will serve as judge. I was here. I offered myself to you. 
You can take me, you cannot take me. I'm not being mean about it. I gave my whole life on the cross for you. I'm here. I'm here. I love you. I'm here. Next step's yours. And this makes us nervous, doesn't it? Because we know that we fall short. But friends, it makes no difference to call Jesus Savior if you don't need saving. I mean, what's the point? We all need a Savior. I know this is breaking news for you, friends. We all need a Savior. We say that with me. We all need a Savior, right? We need Jesus like a drowning man needs air. We need him. He reaches down and he pulls us up. But if, if you're drowning and Jesus says, I'm here to pull you up, and you go, no, no, I'm fine under the water. I'm going to get gills in a minute. I just know it. You're going to drown. That's the way it works. It makes us nervous. We know we fall short. And this is why the good news of Jesus is so important, because every person on the planet needs him. And so it's not mean-spirited to say to a friend or neighbor, hey, I want to introduce you to my best friend, Jesus. It's not mean or bad. Now, you, there are bad ways to do it. I mean, I've seen that done. But that's not what I'm talking about. I'm simply saying, Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you. Jesus loves me. Jesus loves the world. Jesus loves everybody that you know. So we ought to treat other people like Jesus because he loves us all. Perhaps you've read this. For God so loved the... Oh, see, if you're a first century, you would have sworn it said Jews. You would have. Because that's what they knew. God so loved the Jews. Egyptians, not so much. He drowns them in the Red Sea. And their chariots and their horses. He didn't even like horses. I mean, everybody loves horses in Oklahoma. right? But that's what it says. God so loved the world. This is a huge shift. The world had never known anything like this. That he would give his only son, Jesus, that, say it with me, everyone who believes in him may not perish... No, 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 not perish, but may have eternal life. Indeed, in case we missed it the first time, indeed God did not send the Son into the world to what? To condemn the world? No, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Not to judge, but to save. And those who believe in him are not condemned, but those who do not believe are condemned already because when you leave penicillin at CVS and you don't take it, it doesn't help you. doesn't make penicillin a bad deal. doesn't make Jesus a bad Savior. It is wise to receive him into your life. Right? It is. But we don't get to do it halfway. You're condemned already because they have not believed in the name of the only Son of God. They've simply shelved him. And this is the judgment. So friends, we, with all I am, God is not mad at you. He's not out to get you. But there is a certain order of the world, and that is I am here to save. If you'll receive me, then you'll have life and light, and in him is no darkness at all. But if you don't, you don't. You don't. And this is the judgment, that the light Jesus has come into the world, and people loved darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. It's still true, right? There are things we want to do, and you're allowed to do them. But you've got to ask yourself, this is a really great question. If you wonder if something or not is good for you, would you do it in front of me? Would you do it in front of your spouse? Would you do it in front of your child that's about to be born? Would you do it in front of your grandma? And if the answer is no... 
the way my son says it is, you better check yourself before you wreck yourself. Right? Right? Now, if you and grandma have been throwing back some scotch for years, maybe that's okay for you. But if not, then maybe not. Does it make sense to you? You have to ask yourself, this thing in my life that I'm wrestling with, is it good for me? Is it not good for me? Is it something I should keep or something I should shelve? Well, the question is, if you would do it in front of the people that you love. The people, and for me, this was, this was huge for me in my 20s. I went to a church in Charlotte, North Carolina, and the preacher simply said on Father's Day, if this is not something your child, you would want your child to see and you, don't do it. And I thought, that's pretty good advice. I was 22. I'd never thought about having kids at 22. But there's some things in my life that started to change that Sunday. Because I thought, yeah, I, I wouldn't want my son or my daughter to know that about me. I don't want that in my life. So I began to shelve it. Does it make sense? People, this is the reality about us, for all who do evil hate the light and do not come to the light so that their deeds may not be exposed. But those who do what is true come to the light so that it may be clearly seen that their deeds have been done in God. Now this is an awesome scripture. The problem with it is we would like to think of it as black and white. I'm this way, I'm not that way. And the truth of the matter is we're all a bunch of gray. Aren't we? This part of my life's pretty good. It's tracking pretty good. Don't look over here, it's a mess. Right? And so most of us, when people want to make small talk, um, we don't say, let's talk about my mess. Some people do, and you run from them. But, <laughs> right, most of us are over here. And the reality is we're mixed of that, aren't we? I am. I've never met somebody who that wasn't true for. And I always get super nervous when I talk to somebody who's on either end of that scale. If I talk to somebody and they're trying to snow me that everything in their life is perfect, I'm like, ooh, scary. And if I talk to somebody whose life is always terrible, I'm like, oh, you need medicine. No, seriously, because life's not like that. Life is sometimes good and sometimes hard. And, and we need to roll with both because that's the reality of the world. Now, at this point, you're tracking with all this. You're like, yes, I knew this is true. I knew God wasn't mad at me. I knew Jesus is the Savior of the world. Those church people stink. God's good, but church is terrible. So you may think, okay, I don't like organized religion. That's the problem. Friends, I'll tell you, after 24 years, it's a lot better than disorganized religion. And I see that all the time. People are like, no, 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 I want to follow Jesus. I just, I don't want to have anything to do with the church. Uh, I will tell you what Paul says, and that is it doesn't work. The apostle Paul says it doesn't work. And I know there are people that, that disagree with this and say, well, because of the internet, because of Facebook, because of whatever, I don't need the church anymore. You just need to know that Jesus never said that. None of the people that follow him have ever said that. They actually went as far as to say, um, if you leave the community of faith, whatever community of faith that is, not necessarily Acts 2, but the community of faith in general, like if you're not connected to people of faith, right, if you don't have a church, you don't have people to pray with, you don't have people to talk with, you don't have people to work through, you know what Paul says about that in Ephesians? He says it's like cutting off your arm. Now you can reattach it, and you might keep it. But more than likely, you're going to be dead in a few hours, a few days, certainly by a few weeks. That's the analogy Paul used about people who simply say, I don't want anything to do with religion. Well, of course religion is not organized, and often it is disorganized, because it's made up of who? Sinners. <laughs> people who are sometimes what? Good, and sometimes not so good. So of course it's disorganized. So here's the question. Will you be honest with yourself today? Will you be honest with yourself? 
This, this is, this is going to be really tough. And, and this is why it's important, friends. Because self-deception always takes us in a bad direction. It does. Have you ever, for those of you who are older, maybe older than I am, have you ever sat back in your easy chair and said, you know those 10 years I lied to myself about this? I'm so glad I did that. Anybody? I mean, I suppose it's possible, but I've never seen it. When we lie about ourselves, when we refuse to see the truth about ourselves, as far as I've ever seen, it's always taken folks in a really bad direction. But it's in that moment, in that moment of clarity where we go, whew, I have an anger problem. I really do. Whew. I did not know this, but I drink every time I'm sad so that I don't feel those feelings about this thing I feel guilty about. Wow, I didn't see that before, but I see it now. Maybe I need to work on that. Wow, my life is a mess this season every year. Maybe I should look at the grief about what happened in that season and that time of my life. And, and if you haven't ever journaled, friends, I would just I invite you to do that. And, and what you'll find, if you're like most people I know, maybe all people I know, is that your life is not nearly as chaotic as you think. It's pretty standard. Most of us feel pretty good when it's 75 degrees and sunny with a light breeze at our back. Most people need to get their sun lamps out here in about three weeks when we lose daylight savings time. Absolutely true. Yet we're like, wow, I never saw that coming. I'm super depressed in January. Well, yeah, it's cold and dark and gray. Go to Hawaii. Whatever you need to do, right? I mean, it's not nearly that chaotic. We need to be honest about what really is going on with us, right? So here's what I want to say uh, and invite you to think about. There is a big difference between I, say it with me, I don't believe it and I don't want to believe it. Isn't that true? There's all sorts of things in our life that we don't believe and we shouldn't believe. I used to think that, you know, digits went from zero to 100 in first grade. When I got to high school math, there were negative numbers. Blew my mind. What's less than zero? There can't be less than zero. Zero's nothing, right? Yet, later on, and you know what they do after that? It's terrible. They put letters in there. <laughs> Awful stuff, right? And, and you can choose to believe, but a lot of us, we just don't want to believe it. We don't want to believe it because it's hard or it's uncomfortable. And this is where our country is really in trouble. We've gotten to the point where if it's uncomfortable, we claim it to be untrue. Think about that. When you look at Facebook, when you look at what's online, when you look even at multiple cable channels now, if it's not comfortable, if it doesn't serve you, you now call it untrue. That is a road to disaster, friends. Just because it's uncomfortable doesn't make it untrue. Things can be true and uncomfortable like the cross. Absolutely true. The worst kind of torture. So let me ask you this, because I have to ask myself this all the time. I'm not pointing at you. I'm talking to usins. Have you stopped believing or have you stepped back from faith because it's inconvenient? Because you actually do know. You've actually read some of the Bible now, and you know what the Bible requires of you. It actually asks you, demands of you, that you forgive others if you want to be forgiven. Matthew 6, look it up. I'm not joking. Right before the Lord's Prayer. 
you're going to be forgiven to the extent which you forgive others, not a second more. This is tough stuff. You've got to bring Jesus in. And, and have you stepped back and said, whew, whew, that's uncomfortable, that's inconvenient. I don't want to believe it. I know it's true, I just don't want to. That's a really dangerous place for us to be. Now, St. Augustine knew this thousands of years ago. He said it like this. We love the truth when it enlightens us, doesn't it? We hate the truth when it convicts us. We don't want to see it. We don't like it. We don't want to have a part of it. And so, friends, our action steps this week. I would invite you to read Romans 5, 8 each day this week. It's super short. It says this. God proves his love for us in that while we still were sinners, Christ died for us. You don't have to earn your salvation, right? Don't, don't hear what I'm not saying. Jesus is the Savior, not the judge. There will be a judge at another time, and everything will be made right. But until then, this is where we hang our hat. God proves his love for us. What does he love? Us, all the world. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Every day, you need that in your life. You need to know that in your mind. Even when the thing's spinning around, you don't look like it. And then secondly, James 4.8. And, and this is the promise of God. This is James, the brother of Jesus, Draw near to God, and God will draw near to you. He will. But we have to make a choice, he says. You have to cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. You can't go back and forth, back and forth, back and forth all day. You'll just wear yourself out. And many of you have lived there. I've lived there. I've had days where it's back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Any of y'all ever try to write a paper for school, and you're, you're going to do it, you're not going to do it, you're going to do it, you're going to do it, and it gets to be midnight, you still haven't done it, and now you're super tired, and you still got to write it, and it's worse than it would have been if you'd have written it at 8 or noon or 3 or 5 or 9. I'm the only one. Double-minded, right? So, pray, Jesus, I will listen and obey no matter the cost. That's where life is, friends. That's where real life is. Most of us pray, Jesus, I will listen, and if I like the answer, I will consider it. Isn't that how we really pray? And no, 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 this is where life is. I'm going to listen and I'm going to obey. No matter the cost, whatever you tell me, I'm going to do. And I'm going to trust you with the result because you're God and you're good and you're loving. And so the next two verses after, James says this. It's really simple, friends. It's hard, but it's simple. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. Friends, humility is the way forward. Honesty and humility is the way we learn, the way we grow, the way we find life in the kingdom of God.